Exodus chapter 16. And uh, I will be reading verses 1 through 8 as you follow along in, in your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, the backs to the chair have a Bible there. Uh, you can certainly borrow that one as we, we read the passage and dissect it. Exodus 16 verses 1 through 8 says, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So uh, we're continuing uh, this sermon. This is part two. Last week we looked at verses one through three. And when you look at this as a whole, especially when you look at verses uh, four through eight, uh, verses four through eight are extremely powerful and encouraging for the Christian. And the reason why I say they are powerful and encouraging is because they portray the spirit of the gospel to our thirsty souls. Uh, When you take them as a whole, you see verses 1 through 3 and how they show the height and also the depth of man's sin, how great man's sin can be and what we can accomplish with our sin. But then you look at verses 4 through 8 and you see the, the enormity of God's grace. Uh, God, the enormity in his ability and his willingness to forgive and to restore his people. That, my friends, is the gospel. Our sin needed to, uh, needing to be forgiven uh, and God responding and giving us grace. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The fact that our sin is great, but God's grace is greater. That is our sermon summary for today. Our sin is great, but God's grace is greater. When I say that, I'm reminded of Ephesians 1, 7, where it says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Now, I love the way that verse starts, because right away we are faced with something that is very tough tough for some people to understand and, and to really think through. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The fact that we 
have redemption need, means that we are sinful and we need redemption. And that verse starts off saying, in him we have redemption through his blood. So it's understood, we are sinful, we need help, we need a savior. And in him, meaning Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Wonderful passage for the Christian. Because sometimes we may think, you know, is forgiveness available to me? Well, not based on our own works, but it's available to you in faith. When you place your faith in Christ. So in him, we do have that forgiveness available in him. We do have that redemption through his blood, what he did on the cross. And sometimes we may wonder, well, can I ever, can I ever sin so much that his death doesn't pay for my sins. Basically that I sin more than than the power of his death. No, the Bible says that we are redeemed through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We are sinful, but his grace, his grace covers our sin. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful truth for the Christian. And that's why we can be so confident that when we come to faith in Christ and when Christ saves us from our sin and from who we were, that we stay in him. We stay in him for eternity. Now, it's my hope today that you will learn that the Lord truly is your sole provider. That is the whole point of why I'm up here this morning, that he is Jehovah Jireh to you. Because we have to understand that everything that has been given to us has been by him, through him, and for him. Everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Because sometimes we use that word. We use that word and we're trying to be dramatic and we say everything or we say all or we, we try to include this big old crowd and we really don't mean it. But I'm telling you, when I say that the Lord has provided everything for you, I mean everything. Everything comes to you, again, by him, through him, and for him. That means Everything, including the salvation that you stand in, the hope that God has given you, has been provided to you by him and for him. Excuse me, by him, through him, and it's intended for his glory. So today we're talking about, you know, how God provides everything for us and how even though our sin is greater, God's grace is greater you know, the only reason why we're able to talk about this today is because Israel so shows us great sin. And that's the only way that we're able to, to recognize God's grace is because through the lens of our sin, our sin is great. But then we see God's uh, grace is greater. Israel's sin here is great. But then we will see how God responds to them. And what is their sin? Well, their sin is that they have discontent for the Lord. And verses 1 through 3, verses 1 through 3 show us that the discontent that they have was unwarranted. The Lord had done everything that he had promised for them. He had come to Moses beforehand and he said, I will set my people free. You're going to be my vessel, but I'm going to set them free. So we see that. We see that the Lord, 
he destroys the power of Pharaoh, and he frees the people from his bondage. The Israelites had been in bondage for over 400 years to the Egyptians. They were slaves for that long, and they worked really, really hard. And, and as I said last week, a lot of them were murdered and mistreated all that time. And here, the Lord told Moses, I am going to free you from that bondage. And he came through. He freed them from that bondage. And he didn't do it in a regular fashion either. It was very dramatic fashion. Not only that, but the Lord provided a way out for Israel. When they finally left Egypt, Pharaoh changed his mind at the last minute and sent his army to go and catch Israel and to destroy them. But the Lord divided the Red Sea and Israel passed through it safely. But when the Egyptians came behind them and tried to give chase, the waters receded and the Lord destroyed the Egyptians. Not only that, but he led the Israelites with a sign of his presence when they were in the desert. He did not leave them alone. He promised Moses that they would worship on Mount Sinai. And in order for that to happen, to make sure that happened, the Lord, he made his presence known by fire at night and by a cloud during the day. I could go on and on about the different things that the Lord has already done for the Israelites, but I think you get the picture. What I'm basically saying is that the Lord has come through. He has done what he said he would do. You see, and all those things should have given the Israelites the faith to trust in the Lord. All those things, the things that they saw, what they experienced, it should have given them faith to trust in the Lord through any circumstance. But when the Lord puts them to the test, we see that they fell miserably. In chapter 15, verses 22 to 27, we see that they grumble against the Lord because they don't have enough water to drink. And when they become hungry, they long for the days that they were slaves in Egypt because in their mind, or in their minds, that was better than their current situation or circumstance. And that's being in the presence of the Lord, being led by the Lord. We talked about how harsh that was last week. Basically, what they were saying was that Pharaoh was, was, was treating them better than the Lord was currently treating them. I started to think about that. You know, after you preach a sermon, there are a lot of things that go through your mind. And, 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 and to be truthful with you, there are a lot of things that you wish you would have said and you didn't say. And you, you have to think about those things and think through those things. But one of the things I was thinking about after I preached last week's sermon is like, you know, I was trying to relate that in my mind and, and see what, how that would relate to me in my own personal life. And I thought about what they were doing to God was like if one of my kids came to me or one of your kids came to you and in the midst of a conversation, they basically revealed to you that they wish they were not part of your family that they wish they were part of another family. Whoever it may be, it may be your next door neighbor, maybe the person that you know in school, but if, you're, if your child were to tell you, you know, I wish I was never born into this family, I wish I was part of another family. 
And you start to think about that, and that really just grips at you, right? You, you think about that and everything that you've provided for your child and how much you love your child and for your child to come back and tell you that. I, for the Israelites to tell God, I wish we were back with Pharaoh, even though we were slaves, we, we, we were full. That, that, is just, that is just really tough to swallow. But I thank God that, that he is long-suffering. I thank God that he is full of grace. I thank God that he is full of love. I thank God that he is all those things. Because we can't really just look at the Israelites and say, how dare they? We, we can't do that. Because we're just as bad. We're just as sinful. We have been in their shoes. And the Lord has forgiven us. But when we look at the Israelites here in the Old Testament, we not only see that they have discontent with the Lord, but we also see that there is no reason for them to have discontent. They're not satisfied with way, the way the Lord has treated them or the way the Lord has led them. But when they look at themselves, when they look at themselves, they will see that they've failed to meet the law of God. You know that old saying, you better be careful when you point at somebody because you got three fingers pointing back at you. They fail to really look at that and to, to understand that, that our discontent with the Lord is unwarranted because number one, he has done everything that he said he would do. And number two, we have been completely disobedient to his law. See, they failed to obey the law of God that was given to them in Exodus 15, verses 25 and 26. There, it says that the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of, the, none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. You see, the Israelites didn't receive the law on Mount Sinai. They already had the law. They had the law to follow. And the Lord had told them, if you follow my law, I will be your healer. And the Lord had tested them against this law. From what we know, he had tested, we at least know that he tested them twice because they are recorded in Scripture. And both times they failed. But when we look at the purpose of God's testing, we see why. We see why they failed. Because his testing is there to show us where we fall short. That was the whole purpose of his testing, so that they could see that they fell short of his standard. The law does the same. Paul says in Romans 7, 7, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So the law of God is there to remind us and to expose our sin, remind us of how sinful we are and to expose our sin. The law is not intended for us to sit there and, and for us to, to, for it to be a, a grade scale for us and for us to meet it all because we cannot meet it all. That's why we need to have faith in the one who met it all. 
and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So God's law was never intended to be a way to exonerate ourselves, our sin. Rather, its intention was to show us that we are sinful. And our sin is exposed when we are tested by the Lord. And we see this fact here with Israel. God gives them the law, says, if you meet it, I will be your healer. And we see that the two times, the two times that they are tested, they fail. So what does this mean? Well, we go back to our sermon summary in talking about that our sin is great, but God's grace is greater. Because even though we see Israel and they have discontent with the Lord, and we also see how Israel failed to meet the law of God, we see God's grace abound. We see it abound. We, we, see, it, we see it just cover them up. What does God do when his people are ungrateful and disobedient? I think that's an important question. What does God do when his people are ungrateful and disobedient? I think there are several answers to that question, but in relating to our passage and what we are talking about today, Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, listen to this, grace abounded all the more. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. How wonderful is that? God's response to them was grace. It was grace. They were hungry. They didn't trust the Lord to provide. And yet, the Lord provided anyway. Look at Exodus 16, 4. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. That's God's response to their discontent and their disobedience. God provided food for them in two miraculous ways. Let's skip down to verse 12 of chapter 16. Scripture says that at twilight you shall eat meat, or this is what Moses is telling the, uh, the, is to tell the people of Israel. At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. If you continue reading on, you see that in the evening, uh, the Lord gave them meat to eat. Verse 13 tells us that in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And that was their meat to eat. That's how God provided meat for them. Think about the, the implications of, of, of that verse and what that means they grumbled against the Lord because they were, they, were, they were not satisfied with his care. And God provided meat for them to eat. They didn't even have to hunt their food. The Lord provided in such a way that quail just showed up, 
basically in their lap to go and pick, prepare, and to eat. He provided them in such a, uh, in, in, in such a, a good way that they didn't even have to go and hunt their food. The Lord brought their food to them. And then also, not only did he provide meat to eat, but also he provided bread to eat in the morning. Verses 13 and 14, it says, In the morning, dew lay around the camp, and when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And they came to call this manna. And when you look at how God provided that, again, they did not have to search for it. It came to them. But not only did God put it in their lap like he did the quail, there's something else that we have to understand. God did not only provide meat to eat and bread to eat on that day, but he provided it for them for the rest of their wandering. At least the manna, it says from that in Exodus 16, uh, 35, it says, from that day forward, the Lord provided food for them every day. The scripture says the people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years. So they came to a habitable, habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. He provided for them in every way. That's, that's Jehovah Jireh that we see in scripture. The Lord will provide. That's the God that we serve. Now we can get into all kinds of other discussion. You know, how does God res- you know, respond to sin? Of course, of course he disciplines us. Of course he, he is a holy God and he doesn't let, let sin escape. Of course, we can deal with all those things. But today we are talking about his grace and how he responds to us in grace. And we cannot negate that. We cannot erase that. God is a graceful God. That means he is full of grace. So as we look at this passage today, how can we learn from this? And what kind of application can this have for us as a church today? Well, first of all, I, I, I want to encourage us not to be naive to think that this whole story that we've been reading about has everything to do with the Lord providing food for his people. Please do not be naive to think that this story is just about food. It's not, about, it's not just about food and it's not just about water and it's not just about God giving you monetary position, uh, possessions and, and, and the check in the mail and all those other things, those cliches that we hear. It, it's, it's not about that. It, it's a lot deeper than that. Because we have to understand something. We serve a great God. And for God to provide food for us and clothing for us and, and those monetary position, possessions, they, that is nothing for him. That is nothing for him. The story is not about that. Jesus even said, is not life more than food? Basically, he meant, why are you worried about food? Hasn't the Lord shown you that he is your provider? For him to provide food for you, clothing, shelter, that's nothing for him. 
So if it's not about food, and if it's not about water, and if it's not about anything monetary, then what is it about? Well, when you look at the manna and you see how that is used from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the manna is used symbolically, and it's, it's used symbolically to represent God's complete care for his people. And that's why in the New Testament, Jesus, when he talks about, he, when he, he teaches on God's provisions, in John chapter 6, he refers back to the manna. Let's read that. John chapter 6. I'll give you some time to turn there. John, John chapter 6. We're going to read verses 32 through 40. John chapter 6, verses 32 through 40. If you're there, can I hear an amen? All right. It says, uh, there it says, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. Now, now Christ is speaking specifically about what we're reading about in Exodus 16 right here. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. And gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. The manna that was provided for the Israelites in the wilderness, that was symbolic of me. When God fed them every day with it. And he gave it to them for the rest of their journeys and they fed on it and were full every day. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. God has given me to you to provide for you every day, just like the manna provided for the Israelites. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall, not, shall never thirst. Again, we're going deeper than hungry and being thirsty. He's, he's talking about spiritually here. Those who come to him spiritually will never hunger for anything else, and they will never be thirsty. Their, their, their needs will be provided for in Christ Jesus. Then he continues, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. That's what our story is about. When, when God provided manna for the Israelites, it was symbolic of how he has provided Christ for his church. So the Israelites, as they wandered through the desert, 
We can go as far as it representing and being symbolic of God's church basically here on earth. Waiting to be waiting to be taken up by God and be in his presence and to be with him, to be glorified. And while we are here on earth, God has given us Christ and we are to feed on Christ all the days of our life. And guess what? As we feed on him, we will always be full. We will never lack. God provides for us in every way. What a wonderful application for the church today. Now, in conclusion, let me help you wrap this up and, and, and to help you really think about it and bring it home to your own life. Just like the Israelites, we, are, we have, we have short-term memory, short-term memory loss, actually. We have short-term memory loss because they haven't been wandering long. They had just started, a month and a half, I believe. They had just seen everything that the Lord had done in his great power and his great majesty, how he delivered them from the Israelites and how he executed his judgment on the Egyptians they saw, these th- they saw things that were unexplainable, how the Lord was for them. I mean, they had the sea split for them, and they walked through it. And a month and a half later, they're worried about where they're going to get water and how they're going to get food. That's all it took. And I may be preaching this sermon today and you're hearing it and you're saying, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, that's my God. You're going to leave this place and two hours later something's going to happen and you're going to forget what the Lord has done for you. You're going you're to forget how he has provided for you because you're going to look at whatever it is that you face as greater than God and you need to remember that God is greater than all things. And that he gives you things even though you do not deserve them. Because your sin is great, but his grace is greater. So what we need to do as a church, as his people, we need to not worry about our life. We need to not worry about our life. What for sure, what we will eat or what we will drink. We need to not worry about tomorrow. For we serve Jehovah Jireh. We serve a God who provides. Always has, always will. When we begin to worry, we need to remember that God provides for us in every way. We are in Christ. Therefore, we lack nothing as far as provisions go. We lack nothing. It doesn't matter what we don't have. All that matters is that we have Christ. So we need to remember that Jehovah Jireh is your God. In Christ, you are completely and utterly provided for, no matter what happens to you in this life. I I went to go see Sister Brenda yesterday. And I don't know if everyone got the report, but Sister Brenda was placed in a hospital again. And for those of you who do not know Sister Brenda, she has been, she's a member of our church, dear sister in Christ. She has been here for, very, for, for a while. 
my mind leaves me when I think about how, how long she's been here, but she's been a member here for years. And since day one that she walked into this church, she has been suffering physically. As a member, she's, she's for sure, by far, been in the hospital more than any member I have ever had at this church. I can, I can testify to that. She has suffered through a whole lot of things. And I'll tell you what, and I, I didn't ask her if I could mention her in this sermon. I didn't even talk to her about it. It just comes to me now. I'll ask her later. But as I was driving up there to go and visit her, I started thinking, what do you say to a person who has been suffering for so long? I visit her so many times at the hospital. Pastor Laramie's visitor. Several of you have visited her, and it's like, how much encouragement can you give one person? What, what do you say? And as I was driving along, I thought about 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Thought about it. Pulled it up on my phone after I parked. Just want to make that clear. Pulled it up on my phone. I said, yes, yes. This is what I'm going to give her. I'm going to give her 2 Corinthians chapter 4 because we all need this. No matter if you've been suffering for a week or if you've been suffering for years, we need this. We need it because we need to understand that no matter what happens to us, here, what happens to us in the here and now, we serve a great God who is always providing for us. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are afflicted in every way. I, I, I love the, how absolute that, that is. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. See, I love this passage because it shows how we, as God's church, that we suffer and we suffer through all kind of things. But friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, I, I tell you this morning, as you suffer, do not doubt God. Trust him all the more. Lean on him, not on your own understanding, but lean on him. Know that he is your God that will provide what you need when you need it. He has given us Christ. That means he has given us everything. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning, Father, and we are ever so grateful. We are so grateful for the bread of life who was given to us.